In the very olden time, there lived a semi-barbaric king whose ideas, though somewhat polished and sharpened by the progressiveness of distant Latin neighbors, were still large, florid, and untrammeled, as became the half of him which was barbaric. He was a man of exuberant fancy and, withal, of an authority so irresistible that, at his will, he turned his varied fancies into facts. Lightning recap. In The Lady or the Tiger by Frank Stockton, a king's unusual justice system gets even more interesting when his own family is involved. Did you know we have a little time? I knew we had a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am your host, Christopher J. Garcia, with the host also, Christy L. Baxter. And uh, Christy L. Baxter, let me <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you a question. Um, I am looking for a story that is ultimately about what would happen if I were a king. What story should I read? <laughs> There's a frightening thought. You should read The Lady or the Tiger by Frank Stockton. <laughs> and this is... <laughs> Christina Baxter. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get over that anytime soon. <laughs> I liked this story. Mm-hmm. Because it does show that uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Yeah. Um, it's a fascinating piece that the writing, to me, felt like it was a, a sculptor using a jackhammer to make it happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then coming out with something that is actually surprisingly finely detailed and it's funny because just from your statement that uh absolute or that the power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely etc i can kind of guess what your your take on the mystery ending here which we'll get to eventually but i just wanted to point that out before i forgot as i so often do <laughs> And it feels like, and this is actually a weird thing for me, is as I'm reading this and going, you know, I like, I'm not, not necessarily like, but I, I understand how the characters thought of this justice system is representative of the internal ideas of what we believe is just in the actions that are happening around us. But what I did miss was how does this all fit within today in the larger world and that's what I sort of missed is the connection to now maybe it's just the different times because this was written in 19 no I think it was 1882 in 1882 my favorite part of the 20th century um that was uh you know and maybe it's just the difference in times between then and now but it's things like this that, you know, I really want a connection to something in the wider world that I'm not quite seeing. But maybe it's just I don't understand 1882 as well as I did when I was in 1882. <laughs> well, um, the justice system did move a 
well, a hell of a lot faster back then. Um, it was even, you know, here in America, it was a lot simpler. It didn't have nearly as much bureaucracy and red tape and paperwork and people involved. And you could have, say, uh, you know, something as uh, noteworthy as a capital murder trial where somebody's life hangs in the balance, pun uh, definitely <laughs> not intended. And, and then it happens within a, sometimes a month or two of a of, of, of murder. Like, mm-hmm. God, that's not enough time to gather evidence and to get everything figured out and straightened out. My goodness. And so uh, I, that's just how it was back then. And juries, they would come back incredibly fast sometimes. I'm actually, uh, for, for old time crime, I'm working on a case right now where the jury was out from like five to midnight and then they were still out the next day. And I was like, holy crap, <laughs> what planet was this on? Because usually it's like 25 minutes and they're back and they're sending somebody to the damn gallows. So yeah. I think there's that almost, you know, the, we have introduced more shades of gray into our justice system as we have lengthened the amount of time we're will and space we're willing to give a crime before we punish it or attempt to even adjudicate it. Mm-hmm. And here there is a really fascinating sense of immediacy, which I love um, because a tiger, you might not know this, um, will eat you. I did not. I thought that they would just uh, lick you to death like a, like a lollipop. They do lick you to death with their teeth um, and their jaws. Also, their claws and pain. <laughs> um, also, you could read this as a very interesting dichotomy is formed. Uh, literally, and it's in the title, is it the lady or the tiger? Mm-hmm. And this idea that what represents something we should be comforted by, something we should be accepting as a, not necessarily great thing, but a gentler thing is the lady, of course. And that there's this idea of ferocity to a tiger. So what's fascinating there is that it is a view of a king as to what are the two extremes. And I think that plays into this whole thing. And now that I realize that's the 1880s, which was a time of no cleanliness standards, Um, but it's this, this sense of what did men see as the light and the dark? And I believe now if we did the same thing, we wouldn't assign a natural thing to be the danger. It would be you know, a guy with a gun. And I think that that sort of change plays as you sort of look at this from deeper lenses, I guess. That's true, yeah. And the story itself does kind of bring in shades of gray when it brings in the more specific story of the princess and her courtier lover. Um, And there's this, you know, because then it introduces the idea of, oh, this isn't always good or bad you know the the man who's being punished it, it isn't always well he either dies or he marries a hot chick you know <laughs> even if he's already married depending on which you know whether he opens door number one or door number two now it's stretching out further and and mm-hmm. touching and other, i think the greatest people. influence of this story has to 
Now I'm a child. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're a small reading child. Yes. Um, here's an interesting thing. Uh, that the writing here, again, it's not as polished as I would expect, but there are the moments like how her soul had burned in agony when she had seen him rush to meet that woman with her flushing cheek and sparkling eye of triumph, when she had seen him lead her forth, his whole frame kindled with the joy of recovered life, when she had heard the glad shouts from the multitude and the wild ringing of happy bells. There are a lot of semicolons here. <laughs> That's what makes it beautiful. <laughs> you know, as a uh, guy who writes and has no idea what a semicolon actually does, uh, I think that uh, the power of it actually, of a sentence that has a bunch of not only semicolons, but commas, something that really uh, makes use of the markers of grammar, is yeah. it makes you take each individual point of it more seriously. And actually, that is the, the point of the semicolon specifically is to separate full and complete thoughts that the author does not want to be uh, yet a complete sentence. Um, so, you know, an entire clause or, you know, full thought. You, you, and then you, especially when you have other commas in there, because then it serves as a, as a marker that's like somewhere between a comma and a period. So grammar nerd alert. <laughs> I still don't get it, but uh, I think that the <laughs> best, that the best thing about this though is the ending. Yes! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I was deeply upset and thrilled at this ending <laughs> because it it does it leaves it in the reader's hands and it's and it's very much more explicit about that than than literature usually is usually literature is like well i'm going to leave this ambiguous ending here i'm not going to tell you it's ambiguous i'm going to leave that to you to figure out but it's ambiguous and you'd have to decide what happens next no the, the author literally says i'll leave it to you <laughs> here you go here's a plate you put it what you want it's a buffet um, but i think here like this is very different from what we got yesterday though they both hinge on their endings. Um, and by yesterday, I mean last week. <laughs> um, <laughs> but an incident in Owl Creek Bridge, which happens to be an occurrence, actually, now that I think about it, um, <laughs> is about the realization that those last moments stand out to you and may not actually be real. Yeah, this yeah, one, yeah. Yeah. That one is the least ambiguous ending you can have. It's an ambiguous middle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I, that's a good point. I like the way you put that. This one is not an ambiguous ending. I think this is an open and shut ending. It's you deal with it. <laughs> true, true. In that sense, in, in the more... Um, hmm. In the, in the philosophy where the, the reader is a more active participant, uh, then it, it definitely is you deal with it. I still think it's ambiguous because it, it doesn't tell you. It just does it in a way that is much more explicit and just kind of like washing its hands of us. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's totally ambiguous. <laughs> and uh, I think one of the parts of that that is important is that when an author says, I'm not an author can either just stop, but here, this isn't just stopping. This is, this is saying, uh, I've done my part. 
Now you do yours. And this is a call to action. This is how you end a business email. Uh, (laughs) That is true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My theory about business emails, by the way, is you must have a call to action and a uh, vague threat. If you don't have both, it's not going to work. Um, But here, I think, honestly, I 100% believe that the lady came through. Yeah, I tend to believe that as well. Um, I'm surprised because judging by your uh, your absolute power thing, I thought that you would think that the princess would choose the tiger. Maybe it's that I think three or four paragraphs down when I read it and I sort of see, you know, oh, the lady came through. Yeah, the lady. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, all right, so I think, honestly, I think the lady came through too. I prefer to, to see it that way, to, to think that her, her love for him will allow her to let him live, even if it's painful for her. But I have an, a very important question that I don't think the story answers hmm. or even asks. What happens when ladies commit crimes? <sighs> I think it asks that, actually. It asks that in the idea that we don't see it. So it's sort of that idea that you get in like medieval times and and therefore when women were not responsible for their crimes, their their man was responsible for their crimes because the woman was more property than anything. And so the the man would suffer for her crimes. So even in this case, if say, um, you know, Jane Smith committed a crime, then her husband, John Smith, would be the one to answer for it. And then he'd end up with an all new uh, lady wife or um, being tiger dinner. Either way, in that scenario, she's being punished by losing her man. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. That is very true. Uh, um, So it it definitely, the, the punishment does extend out. You've got a good point there. And which makes me think of witch trials, because uh, they either float and they're a witch and they're stoned, or they drown and they die a good Christian death. In either way, they still lose their life. This idea of an unfairness to women when they're being accused of crimes, in one case witchcraft, in the other case, I'm going to say stealing bread. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this is, a, uh, this is an example of that, that we don't see that. And I want to say this is a thought experiment more than a story. Yeah, it's a thought experiment wrapped up in an allegory, wrapped up in a story. Mm, allegory. Allegory. <laughs> yes. I think, I think this is a story I'm glad I read. I don't know if I necessarily love it, but I definitely yeah. feel that there's something here that will keep me thinking. Yeah, I agree. This, this one's going to stick with me and it's going to be kind of like bugging me when I'm up late at night. It's like, hmm... But did she? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Actually, this reminds me of a a sentence I wrote the other day. Um, uh, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I took the one where I wasn't eaten by a bear. Uh, (laughs) Because Frost does not answer that question. That's ambiguity. That's true, too. That's true, too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, got anything else on this one? No, I think that's that's all I have. Just going to be um, laying awake at 3 a.m. tonight, 
wondering if, you know, the central question of the story, lady or tiger? I'll take lady for the block. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, Christina Baxter. <laughs> yes, Christopher J. Garcia. See, that makes my last name Klingon, and that does celebrate my ancestry. Um, (laughs) What should we read next week? We should read The Kings of Norway by Brandon Taylor. You have frozen. Oh, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm waving. I'm waving back and forth. Hello. (laughs) Can you see me? Can Uh, you hear me? Do the tag one last time. I can hear you now. Okay. We are reading The Kings of Norway by Brandon Taylor. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love Norway. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, I guess until then, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast.